Welcome to the Point Forward Podcast with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinels, J.R. Radcliffe and Jim Ozarski. An over-caffeinated Milwaukee Bucks conversation. The Point Forward Podcast, Milwaukee Bucks chatter from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you had a great holiday. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, not not as much. Not a great Christmas, anyway. Uh, they, uh, they took one on the chin against the Boston Celtics on Christmas. A third consecutive loss on a pretty brutal road trip. Setbacks against the Brooklyn Nets before that. Cleveland Cavaliers before that. They did win in New Orleans to kick off the week, so uh, a nice showing to start with. But we talked about this last week that there is a chance they could lose a whole bunch of these. But and I personally said I wasn't worried, but now that I've seen it, I don't know, maybe a little more worried. I'm not sure. My name is J.R. Radcliffe, and I'm joined in the studio today by Lori Nickel. Jim Ozarski is on the other line. He is still in Boston, having watched this Christmas Day game against the Celtics, two top teams in the Eastern Conference. And Boston ends up pulling away, winning kind of handily. One eighteen. Wait, no, that's the Nets game. I've already forgotten the score of this game, Jim. Uh, but uh, but we're gonna start. <laughs> we're gonna start <laughs> with the game in Boston because that is the uh, the highlighted game. Uh, p- people in Wisconsin were happy. The Packers had just won, and then uh, then they turned on the Bucks, and uh, you know the Bucks hung around, made it kept it close. But Boston was kind of in control of that whole game. And Jim, I, I I had asked sort of before this game what we what you would be looking for in this game and kind of what lessons you would be taking away, understanding the Bucks are in the middle of a tough road trip. They don't have Chris Middleton. Joe Ingles is still working his way back. They're not, they're not at peak performance right now, but Boston really did kind of handle them. So I guess just off the top, lessons you did take away from this game, if any, or if you feel like, you know, it's just not, it's just not enough information because Chris Middleton isn't there. We know how much he is a bad matchup for the Boston Celtics. So, so how, uh, how do you come away from this game? What evaluation do you take away from this game? Yeah, it's uh well well first of all you had the one eighteen right they lost one thirty nine one eighteen oh shoot uh, yes yes but it, you know but Brooklyn did score one eighteen on them in that loss so yeah I, Jr um it, it's it has to be more than just well they're, they're missing this one player right um and, and Chris Middleton's an all star and, and sometimes that one guy can make a difference I, I think. You know, Boston plays Giannis really well. You know, um, I think that was a, a takeaway. Look, he, he Lori was there in Boston it, it, for that Eastern Conference semifinals when he essentially tried to will his team to victory and yet still couldn't do it. Exactly. Um, and that's not a knock on Giannis. I think it's more of just how good Boston is at defending him and you know, look, he threw a shoulder into Jalen Brown at the end of that game. You know, they can kind of frustrate him, you know, in a way that other teams just can't. And I, I think that um, highlights that Chris Middleton isn't there um, because they win a lot when he's not, right? Um, and actually, Jared, it's funny because, you know, way back at the beginning of the year when I thought they might start a little slowly – they're hitting that slow patch now. I mean, they've basically been a 500 team since that 9-0 start uh, as they're trying to work through guys coming back from injury and new rotations, etc. So um, I, I think that was my biggest takeaway, though, was Boston, you know, gives Giannis fits, and this team still has to figure out a way to score enough when, when they don't. I think they play decent enough defense. Jason Tatum finally was the difference in the third quarter but uh yeah it's it, boston you know 
got to give them the respect as the defending Eastern Conference champions. They're still the best team in the East. Laurie, it's not just to me that they lost to Boston. That's going to happen. They're going to lose games to Brooklyn. They're going to lose to Cleveland. Stacking them up in a row. And, I mean, they were competitive in the Cleveland game. But to end up kind of losing sort of all three in lopsided fashion, I, I do imagine there are people waking up just a little bit, not panicking, but just a little bit concerned that they their Bucks are going to head into the new year not looking like a team that is the favorite to win the Eastern Conference. I mean, you, you could still argue they are, but Boston, so much clearly the better team. 139 points, like Jim said, which I believe is their season high. Uh, that's a that's a bad omen. And and like you said, it's it's more than just one player. So what is, you talked last week about how the shooting woes, the three-point shooting woes, were enough of a trend that you were concerned about that, especially on the road. We've absolutely seen that here. Nobody is shooting the ball well. So what is your takeaway from the Boston game and, and really the, you know, the road trip at whole, uh, as a whole right now? Well, the first thing I wanted to look at is why on earth is Giannis Antetokounmpo taking so many threes in this game? <laughs> now, first of all, I'm the biggest fan of his ugly three-pointer. I will defend that, meaning I will defend his right to take that and the need to take that all day long. Um, probably at the angst of Jim Ozarski's opinion. But why was he doing it? You know, and the Celtics, even with the coaching change, have had this different philosophy of taking things away from him in the paint. He wasn't scoring well there, so it seemed like he was going outside. And I think we're starting to see now um, how much of a significance Giannis's contribution is to this team. And as he goes, they go, which is really fascinating to me because Drew Holiday played really well yesterday and Brooke Lopez played really well yesterday. They have enough people uh, to make up for the loss of Chris Middleton. So it really does, it, it can't all be put on Giannis. He has to be allowed to be human in some of these games and so to me, the biggest question is why are they shooting so poorly on the road? Why is there this dichotomy between home games and road games? And it's not that they're shooting great necessarily all the time at home either. Um, this is uncharacteristic of a of a Mike Budenholzer coached team. His whole philosophy is keep shooting. If you're in a slump, keep shoot, shooting. He's done that in the past with Pat Connaughton. He's done that in the past with... Drew Holiday on the championship playoff run in 2021, he, you will be benched if you don't uh, keep shooting. He doesn't, you know, he feels the law of averages will work itself out. I think he even told that to Malika Andrews on TV yesterday that they hope the percent percentages even out. So maybe this is just a bad stretch because they're, I don't think they're going to change that offensive philosophy, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on that. It might just be that they're going through a rough stretch right now, and that happens in sports. Um, but there's other things that concern me, too. And, you know, Pat Connaughton he had some beautiful shots. I mean, he was open. He was there. But I don't know if it's the spin on his ball um, that's not working. If it, he just doesn't, he isn't getting that shooter's touch right now. I, I have a lot of questions for them, and and that's an issue. If Pat Connaughton can drain a three here and there, that really helps. But if you don't get these little contributions here and there, it's it's this cascading effect. So I, I have more questions, I think, than I do answers at this point. Certainly, Giannis was uh, was bottled up, like you guys have both said, twenty seven points. D despite that, nine rebounds against the Celtics. You know, I actually think you go back a couple games, we scored forty five points. He was willing the team as best he could. He was on on his game, and then it's the role players, like you're saying here. They they just no, nobody shooting the ball. Nobody is really helping out. No one's rising up with Middleton off the floor. Jim, uh, 
I, I look at that particularly in the in the Boston game. You know, you you asked how would they defend the you know if if Boston is capable of hitting a bunch of threes, then maybe their three point defense, the Bucks' three point defense, isn't isn't as further as as far advanced compared to last season as we thought it might be at this point. And uh, and on the other side, the Bucks themselves, the role players, just they don't make threes. And we'll talk about Joe Ingles separately, but you know Grayson Allen in particular, it seems like it, it seems like we saw more of what we saw. In the in the playoffs, and Grayson Allen just doesn't doesn't work against Boston offensively or defensively. So um, I, I guess I'm seeing kind of uh, it's alarming to me that that guys aren't able to step up. That you know Pat Connaughton is still sort of seemingly shaking off the rust. That you know no one has sort of risen up. Javon Carter isn't as hot as he once was earlier in the year. Like what 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 about these guys? Are are, are any of these guys of concern to you? You know we're going to start talking about the trade deadline again, and, and Grayson Allen's name is going to come up, and especially when you look down the road at this potential matchup in the playoffs, you start to wonder, yeah, maybe maybe this really is a, a guy that they have to move on from to to get better for when they see Boston down the road. Just uh, just riff with me on on some of those guys and and what you're seeing and, and what you're thinking. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it, this fits right into Lori's point. I mean, Pat Connaughton just played a 17th game, you know. Um, but he's shooting 32% from three. Bobby Portis, his three-point percentage is cratered to 29%. That's not that's not going to help. I mean, the double-doubles are great. Um, him having more of an effect in the mid-range and the low post is great, but he can't shoot in the 20s, <laughs> right? Um, you know, Drew Holiday, 36%, that's fine. Javon Carter, 38% is, is fine, but again, his... You know, Grayson Allen, best three-point shooter on the team with Brooke Lopez at 40, but you could argue his, you know, he's not shooting enough. And we asked him that post-game. He said, Grayson, you're, you're putting up two threes a game over the last week and a half. And he said, yeah, that's not enough. Um, you know, so I, I, some of it's maybe not enough threes. Some of it is they're not going in. And I don't know. And this this goes back to, you know, this, I don't want to call it a scapegoating, but it's a little bit of, you know, Chris Middleton has dealt with this over the years, but Allen is sort of the target right now. Um, look, you're going to put him one-on-one against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, which happened in games. Is he going to win that matchup? Not most of the time. I, I, I don't think he's as bad defensively on this team as, as he's knocked for, um, but if he's not going to take six, seven threes and make four, <laughs> um, it does, it does make you wonder, you know, where his fit is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's the natural, again, we've talked about this a lot. He's the natural trade target just because of his skill set and how much money he makes. But again, I, I don't know if, if in Lori's point, I don't know if trading him for a defensive player solves their problems like that's assuming Chris Middleton is going to come back and be an all-star level player we're getting close to 41 games missed like closer to four half the season missed for Chris than a quarter of it and so like I'm cool with assuming when Chris is back he'll be averaging 20 points a game um but if you're John Morris can you sit here and say yep that's that's what's going to happen. Let's trade Grayson Allen for whomever. And then all of a sudden you have one guy shooting 40% from three, and that's your center. 
you know, Brooke Lopez right now has the most threes taken on the team. I, I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's... what they want. <laughs> Right? right, it's what I want. It's great content. Right, right. It's very good content. But but yes. So yeah, it's you mentioned the role players. Yeah, guess what? Derek White hit a big three. Grant Williams shockingly hit big threes. <laughs> that guy um, is so again. he is so Al, annoying to the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. My goodness. <laughs> Al Horford hit big threes. And look, this wasn't like last year. I, I think if if you're a Bucks fan, you want to look for a silver lining. Yeah, the Celtics hit 15 threes. Um, but it wasn't where they just sort of let one guy do it. Like the Celtics did it in a different way, off the bounce, off transition. Yes, there was the occasional open corner three, but over 48 minutes, like that, that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I don't know how you answer the problem of, you know, the role players not hitting open shots. Like that's, to, to Lori's point, that that's Mike Boonholzer's thinking, hoping <laughs> the percentages play out, which unfortunately for the Bucks haven't happened in the last three games they've played the Celtics. Can I just tell you this little story? So uh, Grayson Allen, you know, he's getting 27 minutes a game, and his locker is right next to Chris Middleton's locker here at home at Pfizer Forum. And I was picking Grayson Allen's brain about some other stuff and some stuff that I wanted to look up about game strategy and I kind of teased him at the end. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do my homework, but just, you know, you can't be turning down those corner threes anymore. And Chris Middleton was changing and in his own world, and he turns around, he's like, that's exactly what I told him. I'm like, I was screaming to him from the bench, you cannot turn down those threes. They are encouraging him to put up more shots. And so I'm always curious yes. about the mentality here. If you're a basketball purist or like an old school basketball person you're it's kind of ingrained in you if you're not if it's not your night you don't keep shooting if it if it's not going well you pass the ball you you turn to other parts of your game and that just doesn't work in this system that that Budenholzer coaches and it doesn't matter who the opponent is and so I, I think it's more practical for the Bucks instead of thinking about trading one of their best shooters on the team to actually work on him on his mentality development and kind of shedding that college mentality that old school mentality that you have to be perfect all the time you may alter your shot you may do the drive dunk that he did yesterday that was pretty nice you you might have to do other things to get to the foul line but they need to keep working on him just like Chris Middleton was maybe like a total team effort and bring him along they did that with Drew Holiday a, a few years ago like I mentioned earlier and I think if they do that with Grayson you know you, it may not be perfect now, but it could pay dividends later. Okay, you guys. Yeah, have, I, oh, go ahead, Jim. No, just quickly. I, I mean, um, Mike Budenholzer had, had some jokes pregame, and that was kind of one of them where we asked, "Hey, how do you get Grayson to shoot more threes? And he just looked and he said, "I yell at him," <laughs> and then he kind of laughed and was like, "You know, he doesn't like it." But I, I, I think there was truth behind that. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and and Grayson even said, along with understanding him shooting three threes a game is not enough where he's like, you know, I sit in these post games or in film breakups with associate head coach, Charles Lee. And Charles will say, you should have shot that three. And Grace was like, okay, 
but I put it off the bounce, and then a teammate hit a three after that. So, like, he's like, it's not a always a black and white thing because he goes, I could take a three, and then Robert Williams blocks it. And then you're like, oh, he should have drove it. Or I drive it, and then I get caught up, and it's, oh, he should have took it. He's like, it's never – he's like, in the moment, it's never – that clear cut as it appears after the fact, which I can, I can appreciate, I can respect. And I also thank him for having that conversation. Um, but you're right, Laurie, like this, you mentioned trading and this goes back to things I said with JR, like this team is, is really in a rut offensively. And I still struggle with how do you trade a guy who's uh, one of your better shooters, but I guess exactly. conversely, someone's listening to this Laurie and JR and they're like, but he doesn't shoot it. So I get that too. Like if one of your best shooters is going to put it up, then what? What? Where is the value? All right, you guys have brought up uh, Chris Middleton, and uh, I don't, I don't know exactly when we should start really raising a red flag on on the injuries that he's dealt with this year. And now, well, yeah, I I think we're probably past that point uh, where there 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 should be some pretty big concern here. Now, uh, obviously, he gets hurt in the playoffs last year, but this is not an injury prone guy, at least not to this point in his career. You know, he's had injuries, he's missed time but not, not significantly. And so I look at Giannis and see him playing almost every night, even though the Bucks know they're going to the playoffs and could stand to, to rest him more, just as sort of an indicator to me, at least with Giannis, it's not that they're being ultra-conservative. If they were, they could easily rest guys more often than they do. And so the fact that they have been so slow to bring Chris Middleton along, uh, you know, we, we talked about sort of the first the first injury and his father's death played into that, so that might be a completely separate thing. But to not have him now several games in a row tells me that this is a pretty significant thing. And and I don't know behind the behind the scenes, Jim or or Lori, if you have a sense that it is as bad as it seems or if it like is legitimately just we are not taking chances because we are a playoff team and we are not going to waste Chris Middleton, you know, and take a risk with him in the middle of December because there are bigger fish to fry at the end of the year and that might be. But uh this team needs I would imagine after the new year this this team is going to want to, you know, be firing on all cylinders so that it is ready for you know the the March April May June corridor of the season, and uh, and I don't know when we're going to see Chris Middleton next. So um, so Jim, I'm actually I'll start with you, Jim, because because you've been you've been there on the road. Like, are are you getting any sense of what's what's happening with Chris Middleton when we might see him again, and how concerning this this should be that he has only played in seven games to this point of the season? Yeah, it's um, so I, I was able to catch up with Chris in Boston, and you know, so I. It's like, Chris, is this an acute injury? Like, and, and he said, it's something. <laughs> oh, um, but he goes, it's, but he wouldn't, and, I, and I, I don't blame him for not saying it's ABC. You know, I, I don't think it's as specific as, um, you know, you're, you sprain your MCL or your LCL or your patella move, because I, I feel like if that was the case, the Bucks would have just saved them all, saved themselves a headache, and said, Chris Mills is out for two weeks. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yes. He, all, all he would say was, it's it's just some, he's, he called it weird things that happen once he returned to play. And he's like, it's never happened to me in my career. There's some things that, that have happened, and I, I needed to take time for it to, and he said he had swelling. And right. Look, I mean, it's your body be, tells you, right. yeah, if, if you swell, like, there's an injury in there. Um, so he wasn't telling me what the injury was. So I was like, well, Chris, you hit the floor a lot, like, in the Lakers game, in the Orlando game. He was on the floor. 
Um, and he's like, and he, he didn't say that that wasn't it. <laughs> um, so I, I do wonder if he just, those first few games, got knocked around on the court um, and the, the knee swelled up. Um, look, he hasn't had a right knee issue. I don't think, Lori, if, if you can remember, I mean, the right knee is what the problem was out of college, but that's a decade ago. So I don't know if this is just something, you know, 11 years in and he hit the floor a few times or banged knees a couple times and th- that's what it is. I mean, he, he admitted this is taking a little longer than he thought, um, but he insisted this was the right thing to do because he went one for 12 in that Memphis game. And he's like, that. He's like, I was hurting the team. I couldn't be out there anymore. Um, whereas the game before, Golden State, 6 for 13, 20 points. Bucks win. You know, so his debut against the Lakers, 6 for 11, 17 points, 7 assists. You know, Lakers had their best game of the season. Um, so when he's been right, he's looked right. Right. Uh, but it's, you're right. I mean, it has to be a little concerning because it's it's a knee and what like if he comes back let's say against Chicago does he play four games and is there and that's what he said he's like I, he's like I don't want this to happen again and that's why it's taking the way the ways he's like when when I come back again he doesn't want to miss more time but I don't know if you can necessarily predict that do we know, do you know exactly, we know it's the knee, but we don't know, like, if it's a bone spur or, a, you know, a kneecap that's tracking wrong, or, like, I'm trying to think of all the things that would cause swelling that would be chronic, that you would have to nurse through either until you can rest in the offseason or it requires surgery. Do we know the specifics? No, he, he okay. refused. Yeah. Um, oh. I tried my best to, to pry, and, of course, the bucks. That is not something that they... <laughs> no. Like, it's a lower body disclose. injury, right? So, like, like Chris is the only one. Like, I mean, mm. this is why he subscribed to the Journal Sentinel. I mean, our place is the only place he's talked to about this. Um, Good job. And so, Good at get. this point, you know, like, see, he, you know, he hasn't disclosed it, and you know, the the the, the sources, in all caps, aren't at a point where they want to send that out to their various people as well so no worry at this point we just we don't know exactly what it is yeah good get on your part that that's a in you know chris talks he usually talks i mean i've never had him kind of shy away from that so <clears throat> to me the now i'm a little even more worried about how he can return and to what level he can play at some point we're gonna this is gonna set the table for his contract situation mm-hmm. you know next year he's got a player option 40 million dollars I don't know where we thought that was going to go before the season. I guess in my head, probably declines it and sees what's out there, and maybe he comes right back to Milwaukee. I know it seems like it seems like he'd love to stay, and uh, the Bucks obviously he's a three time All Star and he's been very good to this franchise. And again, I I would not classify him as injury prone before the season. But now I I don't know. You know, does he coming off what's going? Uh, are, are we headed toward a down year for him? You know, kind of. I think at this point. So does he take the player option? Do they discuss uh, an extension? Like, I, I don't know what happens if the Bucks have their druthers. Do they move on from Chris Middleton because he's going to be thirty-two years old next year, and and they 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 maybe want to work something else out? I mean, I, I know it's probably too early to have this conversation, but I, I don't know. What do you think of that, Lori? Have you has that come? You know, have has have you given that any thought yet? I can't imagine the found the 
the pillars, the cornerstones of this franchise right now not being together um, with Middleton and Ante Tecumpo. They complement each other so much, and when they play together, it makes their lives easier. They both know that. They've talked about it. It's been so long. So I, we just look at the character, the way Chris Middleton carries himself. You know, he's made a significant amount of money. I hate talk. I'm one of those people who hates talking about contract stuff now, you know, when it's not. But I understand that that's such a big point of it. So but my excuse is I have not used this to press him on his thoughts about that, because I feel like we just went through all this recently. With Giannis. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But also, you know, Chris you know, he's very conscientious a lot like with the team chemistry and, and playing here and playing for purpose, playing for championships, not playing for paycheck and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Jim, we, we saw the return of Joe Ingles here uh, this week, and uh, he did not uh, did not need a, a, a night off. He's already played in is it, it's four games now. He has not looked good. <laughs> and we thought, I mean, you know, he's 31 years old coming off of an ACL reconstruction. Of course, there was going to be some rust after a 10-month recovery period. He's back much earlier than I think a lot of people would imagine. And, you know, we're talking 3 of 17. Like, this isn't a high volume that we're dealing with, but he's he has not made shots. On the other hand, he has gotten good looks. Like the, And I feel like when he's out there, the whole team gets good three-point looks. They're just not going down right now, which which is a bummer at the moment, but could ultimately prove to be a, a good thing, and 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 they're going to start falling eventually. So give me uh, give me just what you've seen from Joe Ingles so far, how you feel about his performance, and, and I'm, I'm guessing you'd attribute what you've seen thus far to, you know, to just that post-ACL return rust. Yeah, well, first of all, Joe Ingles going to love you because you just made him four years younger than he is. Um, so that's <laughs> what did I say he was? He's thirty-five, not thirty-one. Who, um, wait, when did I say he was thirty-one? Did I just say he was thirty-one years old? I'm thinking of Chris Middleton was thirty-one years old. <laughs> um, You're my new best friend. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> yeah. He, he uh, look. So it's, it's interesting. He played about twenty minutes against the Celtics. Mike Budenholzer said after the game that Joe went to him and was like, "Hey." Uh, I'd like to play a little more than what my minutes restriction is. And the Bucks greenlit him for that. Um, yeah, finally hit some uh, two threes, um, fouled on a three-pointer, made all three of his free throws. So he's, yeah, look, he when he sat with me before he came back in his Joe Ingles way, was like, oh, there's going to be times I look like bleep. <laughs> Like he, he's like, I've never played basketball with these guys. I had no camp. I had no, I haven't touched them, like played any of this in 11 months, whatever it is. He sort of, I mean, he knew this wasn't going to look great at the start. And he sort of admitted again yesterday that it hasn't looked the best. Um, but he, he feels, what he says is, my knees feel great. Plural, like the other one being, you know, older, the other one being newer. Um, and, you know, he, he likes the fact that he's he's been able to hold up a little bit defensively. Um, there's been moments he's, you know, been switched up on much smaller players. He did say, Jerry, you mentioned that the, the shooting percentage, those first couple of games, New Orleans, Cleveland, um, he felt like he couldn't jump. So he's like, I, I, I shot some some threes that I had no legs. He's like, I was so gassed, you know, just like the, the return to basketball condition. And I think that's part of this. Like we go back to like the Pekonitan conversation. He's a, they played 32. He Pekonitan's played only 17 games. Like his minutes restriction 
was lifted relatively recently. Um, and so even, you know, Kanata and Giannis, and Giannis said this yesterday, that yes, we're a veteran team. Yes, we've been together. But we don't practice. So it's the ugly, the, like the practice stuff with this team. You see it in games. Um, and that's like with Joe Eagles. Be it turnovers, be it a pick and roll that's not quite smooth. Um, you know, maybe he's not in the, the, the spot that someone thinks he should be in because they just don't know. Um, so I think, I don't know, I, I think Eagles is, is going to be fine. I think it's encouraging that he finally hit a couple shots. Um, you're right, JR, that he had, like, Joe Ingles shouldn't have wide open threes. Like, that's, to me, like, that's a bad play for a defense. So, again, if you're looking for encouraging things over the last four games, three of which the Bucks have lost, it would be moments like that where that guy is alone in the corner. Like, the Bucks will take that all day if, if he sort of, against the lawyer's point, reverts to the average which is a 40, 41% three-point shooter. So um, I think it's all encouraging things. It, it's just, look, the other side of it is George Hill hasn't played in five games. I'm sure Bucks fans aren't <laughs> upset about that. Wesley Matthews' minutes have, have been cut. Um, right. You know, Jordan Wara has disappeared. Marshawn Bochamp, you know, doesn't really play when the roster's together. So, like, there's a cascading effect of minutes, which I also think Mike Boonehoser is trying to figure out who plays with whom when um and that's we're, we're just seeing it in real time that's uh, that's actually something i wanted to ask you guys um i'm wondering this too about budenholzer and his staff is he going to and do you think he should lean towards the older veteran guys or and i know they're not interchangeable but ingles and or bochamp who do you go with who do you since you're you know, indoctrinating these new players, whether they're new to the team or new to the league, do you bring along a young guy like Bochamp or do you go with the veteran guy and for the dynamics, for the energy, for the spark, for the enthusiasm, for the defensive ability, what do you guys do? To me, I I like Bochamp on the floor more because of what Budenholzer liked from him defensively early on. And you live with whatever growing pains he has to go through. But that's more of a question. I'm not advocating it. What do you guys think about the the youth potential and going with the younger side of the bench as opposed to staying with these tried-and-true veterans throughout everything? Uh, what, yeah, what do you think, Jim? Because I, I, I don't know if it's an either-or situation, but... Uh... You know, I think I think Joe Ingles was was signed to be to be part of a championship run, so I, I imagine that they're going to defer to him whenever possible. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I um, this look and and this isn't what Bucks fans want to hear because I definitely see them and hear them shouting from the rooftops about Marshawn Bochamp is better than than every other veteran that's on the team apparently, um, <laughs> and that just sounds like we know fans know stuff. Yeah, like, I, look, um, I I get the idea and the, the thought of the rookie, right, who has started a few games and has made some of his corner threes um, and has worked on that shot, but that's just not – that's not the Bucks. They're not I, – I don't, I don't think – I think we've seen enough of Jordan Ward to know that for all the, the hate 
that Grayson Allen gets on defense, like Jordan War is not as good as Grayson on defense. So now Jordan's going to put up the shots, which also is, I think, one of the reasons he hasn't quite cracked the rotation. I don't know if after all these years he's earned the trust of Mike Boonholzer. I, I think the fact that he hasn't played at all in the last week or so just sort of cements that. Bochamp's a little more interesting because I think they believe he has a high defensive ceiling. But again, defense really isn't the problem. And so, okay, a Bucks fan will, will, will shout at me, hey, yeah, hey, Bochamp's making 36% of his threes. That's better than six other players. Um, and that's true at this point. So I, to, to Lori's, the question then is, it, it isn't either or in the sense of the minutes. So you just right. signed Joe Eagles, and he's got to come back from injury. So he has to play. He has to, like literally has to play because, again, the way the schedule is set up, they can't practice. So, okay, Joe Eagles, you just came back from surgery. We're paying you $7 million, and you're going to play 12 minutes <laughs> a game right now. We might need you for 20 in the playoff, but right now because we, we want to play the kid. Or Pat Connaughton. But Pat Connaughton's minutes have declined to, the, to 20. 20. He's usually a 27-minute-a-game guy. So, and, and, he, and Bochamp can't play over Bobby. Like, Bobby's the third bit. Bochamp can't play over Javon Carter because as much as you might like Bochamp's defense, he's probably still too big to guard Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garden, right? right. So there, there's like big three and D wings are in vogue and it's great, but it's, it's not just as simple as, you know, he should be the backup point guard over Drew Holiday because he can play defense and maybe give Zion Williamson fit. So it's, it is Lori's right. Like I, I don't think it's as simple as play this kid. Don't play this person. Um, maybe that's the benefit of having what Boone Hoser continues to call a good roster. And I guess it's up to him as a coach to figure out again, who fits with whom and where. And the problem is again, they have to do it in real time. I do want to sneak into what's making Jim mad before, uh, before we go here. But, uh, but one last thought for both you guys, <laughs> you know, Monday, um, uh, Monday, last Monday, they play the Pelicans. They, they pull away one twenty eight one nineteen. You know, they, they, they weather the storm from Jonas Valanciunas's, First, you know, first team All NBA performance, and uh, and I think a team that was giving them their best shot, and the Bucks won. And I, th- I think I even tweeted this: "Damn, this team is special. They are a special basketball team." And I meant it. And I still mean it. But I, I, if the goal here is to be the best team in the Eastern Conference, I think you know, for the first time, I don't know if I believe that's true. I and and they could get there. Chris Middleton could be the the one ingredient that's missing, but. I don't know if I believe that, like we've talked about at the beginning. So so just from both of you guys, how concerned are you? If the goal here is to get to, at least get to, the NBA Finals, do you, you know, if you're looking at this, do you feel like, eh, maybe the Bucks aren't, aren't going to be the team to do that? You know, like, how how red flaggy are the last three <laughs> games? Uh, I'll, and I'll start with you, Lori. Just just where are you at overall? I know we've kind of touched on all that, but, like, how, how concerned? How concerned should we be? It's uh, no red flags right now, but definitely what's the next flag? The warning. The, yellow, some, I guess. Yes, yellow, because it's still December and the talent is here. The shooting is something that can be worked on and can be 
figured out and can improve. Um, I do have questions about the Bucks defense, though. And I do think that, you know, they're still 22 and 11. And, you know, we they padded their schedule or, excuse me, their record based on all those home games in November. So I don't think there's anything of a concern as the team. To me, Middleton is a really, really big concern um, and just not knowing exactly what's going on with him. So I think there's still time. I think, you know, they went through a five-game losing streak before um, and came back. I saw your story, Jim, about Giannis calling for a better sense of urgency as far as their starts, you know, the first quarter, sort of that. So there's things, there's still plenty of time to work on this. This isn't early March. So I don't think people need to panic yet. All right, Jim, are you panicking? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I I think still, I I am going to have to be one of those, those folks who's, I want to see what, what happens with Chris. Like if, if he, misses another week um then i think that changes the trade deadline calculus a little bit for john horst because it's like is he missing a week to be back for 40 games or is it like wow this you know their medical staff says you know what this is going to be a problem like he's going to have to play two of every four Mm -hmm. or be on some sort of weird minutes thing um or is he back against chicago or maybe they wait till December 30th against Minnesota when they have three home games in a row. Um, and then he'd be off that second of the back-to-back in Toronto, home against Charlotte, and that sort of jump starts it. Um, you know, so no, it, it's still too early for any sort of panic in that regard. It's But the Chris thing is what I'm watching most. Um, and, and I think that, that sets a course, if that makes sense, for – what will happen in, in January, February with any potential roster roster changes. Bucks will be back home on the 30th, like you mentioned, against the Timberwolves. First, they go to Chicago to close down this five-game road trip, but they get to come home here for a couple days, not, not playing again until Wednesday night. It's the Timberwolves on the 30th, and then, like you said, back-to-back against the Wizards, uh, one on New Year's Day. That's 7 o'clock tip uh, at Pfizer Forum, and then again, two days later, January 3rd. All right, let's have some fun. Close it down with, uh, with one of my favorite segments. It is What's Making Jim Mad. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I am very disappointed. I'm upset. Louder! I'm upset. Say it louder! I'm upset. That's my secret, cat. I'm always angry. What's making Jim mad? Jim, you're out there on the road. Bound to be something that makes you mad. (laughs) There are so many things that have made me mad on the road. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I wanted to to save this one for when Lori was with us because it's just so absurd and I'm curious her point of view. You know what makes me mad? Blue pens. Blue pens. I don't want to see a, I don't want to see a blue pen. I don't want to see anything written in blue pen. Everything's written but in blue like, pen. I, I get look, our what? our journal our journal sentinel staff is so great. Like they keep us like we get notepads and we get uh whatever we need. Like when stuff happens, you know, we're run out of like when I go into the like I, I'll, I'm running and I'm gonna go buy my own pens. If all we have left is black pens or blue pens, 
And I think other people hate blue pens. Because why are there so many blue pens? <laughs> <laughs> like, it is one of those weird, it's one of those weird things in this profession where I, I don't want to see them. I don't want them as an option. I don't like writing with them. I don't like reading anything written in blue pen. Um, and I do think other people feel this way. Really? Because there's always so many blue pens. Because I, I don't know. I don't know how Lori feels about a blue pen, but they make me mad. I don't want to see them. I don't want to have them. I don't want to write with them. I don't want to read anything written in blue pen. This I'd is... rather read something in red pen. I enjoy red pen. Uh, this is definitely not something I anticipated there no. being a community for. Uh, the blue pen thing is seems very normal to me. Lori just showed me her no. notebook. Lots of blue pen scribble in there. Some black pen too. Right. Some black pen too. Which I am, you know, any pen, I'm good with it. Do you feel Do you feel this way about all multicolored? Like it's, like you would orange pen would not be your thing, right, Jim? Like you're just black no. pen. That's what we're talking about here. I'm just I'm just black pen. Interesting. Yeah. It's uh, I I. This was something that I, I've I have felt this like distaste for the blue pen for a long time, and then it, it did uh, it it mushroomed it boiled over uh, a few weeks ago when yeah I ran out of black pens and I came in I was looking and it was just this box of blue pens that's all there was left I think boxes plural and it just it made me really angry about it and I thought you know what is this irrational. And then yes, it, I thought, no, yes, it is. No, it wasn't. The answer because is then yes. I said, no, I said to myself, wait a minute. Why are there only blue pens in here? <laughs> All the black pens are gone. Um, Clearly, you... other people don't want these. So <laughs> I, this is my shout out to, to, you know, no, we don't want blue pens anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it. It might don't be time. Those. If you're this upset about it, you might just need to make your investment into your preferred pen. I'm just going to be real with you right now. Admittedly, I did Look, not. I had, oh, go ahead, I Jim. Had so many travel ones. I, I've been on the road like nine days. I, I don't know. know what day it is, I have some hotel I, pens of yours right now that you lent to me. <laughs> you know, but um, I, but for whatever reason, it was just that that just it struck me, and, I, and Lori was in, in for this one. So I had to ask because, you know, you could like a blue pen. I think that's wrong, though. We've got work to do on you, but I'll, we'll do that off. Yeah, I think Lori is saying she's fine with the blue pen <laughs> thing. Um, wild. Did not know that was a thing that, that people would uh, would notice or feel too concerned about. I w personally wonder how long we even have pens in schools. Like, I mean, at some point, the only way people are going to communicate is over digital formatting. So uh, right. we're, we're fortunate that there is so even true. handwriting anymore. Um, Jim, Jim, Jim not a fan of, of blue pens. Don't bring that blue pen up around here. Uh, no. But uh, no. you Don't can my autograph in a blue pen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no. You can read his uh his his type, which is definitely black letters, all over the Journal Sentinel, <laughs> JSOnline.com. Uh, he again will be will be following this team, Chicago, on Wednesday, and then back home for a three game set. Jim, thank you for joining us, man. We will chat with you again very soon. All right, sounds good. Happy holidays, everybody. And Lori, thank Great you for joining me. To you. Thank you for letting me be here. Absolutely, as always. And uh, the Point Forward podcast can be found in all the typical locations, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your thing is. And uh, feel free to tell people about us. You can find, uh, again, jsonline.com. You can find our Bucks newsletter and all sorts of goodies. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will chat with you again real soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Point Forward podcast. 
a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and JSOnline.com production.